0: If you'll turn with me, we're going to open up our Bibles to Genesis chapter 1, starting at verse 20, and we've been making our way through day by day through Genesis, and I promise that as we continue through this series that we're walking through the days of Genesis, but we're going to start jogging and running later on, so just bear with me. But as we talk about creation, just because the Bible spends so much time in redemption, it seems like equally that it's a wise thing to do as we talk about creation to slow down. Just to see how God created the universe. To see the world before sin entered in and needed redemption, which is what the whole rest of the Bible is about. And this is still relevant towards that end. And as we've been reading through Genesis, here's a quick quiz so to get you thinking just a little bit. Day one, God created the space for the day and the night. He created the space of the waters, the sky, the universe, the seas below, and then He created a space, the land. And that was in fixing a problem that was a A problem inherent in the original creation, is that it was formless, it was without structure. But then that same creation also had another problem that needed to be solved, which is it needed filling, because it was empty. Those first three days, he created form and structure in those spaces, but then on day four, he filled the first space, the day and night, with sun, moon, and stars. So what do you think is going to happen Next, on day five and six. That's a mental exercise. Let's read and figure out in God's holy and inerrant word. And God said, Let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures, and let the birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves with which the waters swarm, according to their kinds, and every winged bird, according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful, and multiply, and fill the waters in the seas, and let the birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening, and there was morning, the fifth day. And God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things, and beasts of the earth according to their kind. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds, and the livestock according to their kinds, and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. This is the reading of God's holy word. May his blessing be upon it. You know, when we're reading this creation account, we're really figuring out what our context is. We all have this same question, and maybe even particularly in our lives, that we ask ourselves, what is our place in this world? I was surprised that the first time that there was a Taxonomic system, Carolus Linnaeus in 1758 classified us as the first time as Homo sapiens. And while it wasn't anything new to see in hum- human beings certain features that are more similar to certain types of animals than others, seeing res- resemblances in primates, 1758 was new and different because it was the first time that human beings were categorized as animals. Based on the assumption that these degrees of resemblance in creation meant a shared family history. And that's 101 years before Charles Darwin wrote The Origin of Species and came up with the family history, not just of animals, but as human beings, as just another animal in that family history tree and while we don't really have time nor do i really care to at this particular occasion you can ask me later about how common ancestry the fact that there's one common ancestor to every animal on the planet and every living thing on the planet has it's not really believed by anyone and has massive problems with it even scientifically think about what happens to human beings ...who consider themselves as animals. What's the logical end of such thinking? See, even in that logic that Jesus presented to us in Matthew chapter 6... ...he pointed to God's care for the animals. That God enjoys the animals. He clothes the lilies of the field. He feeds the sparrow. And the logic is, how much more will he care for you... See, Jesus' assumption, even when he's saying that, is that human beings have more dignity, more value, more worth than any other form of life. And categorically, the Bible puts us outside of the animal realm. This is really a different worldview than the worldview of the evolutionist that sees us just as another animal with a common history and a common ancestry. We didn't read anything about humans, did we? Humans are going to live on the dry land. I stopped just short of the creation of human beings. But the point here is they're not animals. And we're going to really explore the logical, the logical implications of that. And we're going to start by a first accounting for the similarity. Then we are going to Show how the Bible shows that we're categorically not of the class of animals. And we're going to last on, we're going to last of all focus on the blessing that God applies to animals. And it's a similar blessing that we receive in trying to navigate that as well. So let's start off by accounting for the similarity. Verse 20 starts off with first, just to get a picture of everything that's going on. God says, let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures. Swarm with swarms, I didn't, I don't use that word typically in my vocabulary. It usually refers to insects. It's what happens when you kick down an ant pile. And you see a ton of ants just pour out in mass and moving. What God is talking to is he's saying, let the waters swarm team with life, be filled with it, of all sorts, of all variety. And he calls them something very significant. He calls them living creatures. That word there for living is something that would confuse people if they're maybe just learning Hebrew. When you first learn Hebrew, you see this word "nephesh" ...and you're told that means soul. That means life. Really, just soul is what you're told in Hebrew. But the thing is that you realize that word there, soul... ...refers to the animating thing about us. The soul is the thing that lives behind your eyes... ...that sees out through the windows. That if I cut off my arm... While this is my hand and it's valuable and has worth, if I cut off my arm, I'm still me, even if I've lost my arm. And what's applied to this, applied to fish even here, is let them swarm, that fish are termed here living creatures. I've heard many Christians say that the thing that makes humanity different from animals is that human beings have souls. Well, maybe we can just read this text and say, actually, no. But it depends on what you mean by a soul. What's here talked about is the animating life. The Bible does not view plant life as life. It sees that uh, we already saw that God placed within plants, reproductive systems. They are biological entities. And yet, everyone knows there's something that separates and distinguishes animate life from inanimate life. Even on the scale of value. No one, even the vegans, do not care if you eat and destroy plant life and eat it and consume it. But there's a problem with animate life. That word soul is just talking about what's the thing that causes you to move, the life that you have, the thing that leaves you when you die. The same word is applied. That's a similarity. It's applied to the birds in the sky. And we'll see that's the same word and phrase that's applied to all the animals on the earth, whether they're Beast, whether they're livestock or whether they're creeping things. It's life that they have. This means that animals have a thought life, that they are not like the unthinking world, that they have an aware awareness and they have a will, they have desires. If you have a dog, I think you understand what I'm talking about. That there's an inner life. Sometimes if you get mad at your dog for doing something they know that they're not supposed to do, you can actually see this interplay at work as they feel guilty. But there is a difference between us and them. And that difference is not the ensouledness or the fact that we all are alive and have breath in our lungs. The thing that separates us is what we'll talk about next week which is that we are made in the image of God. We are morally culpable for our actions, and animals are not. This should guard us against pride, too. Remember Psalm chapter 8. Psalm chapter 8, God starts off with, O Lord, O Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth! You've set your glory in the heavens and out of the mouth of infants and babes. You've established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the adventure. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and stars which you've set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him? Or the son of man that you care for him? And he goes on to talk about how God has crowned man with dignity, making him a little lower than the angels, giving him dominion over the earth. What's the thing that distinguishes us from the animal world? It's the God's gift. It's God imbuing us, giving us a gift of the image of God, which is inherent in our very being. He's the one who set us apart. know we have times in which in scripture where we see this this sort of life at least this distinction between us and animals not seen too far separate ecclesiastes chapter 3 verse 18 and 19 points out the fact that you know our worth at least life under the sun absent from god we don't really have too much reason to think that we are really higher than the animals because we all die there's something in which when life the life leaves our body... ...and our life ceases to exist... ...it's kind of an equalizing factor for all life... ...under this sinful world. And we're told in Psalm 49... ...that those who are unlike... The, the, ...those who are humble in Psalm 8... ...maybe the counterpoint to that... ...would be Psalm 49 verses 12 and 20. That points to the fact that if man is proud... He is as dumb as any animal. That it's actually our pride that makes us dumb. Job 35 verse 11 tells us that God is the one who gives us wisdom that is over the animal world. And what God gives, God can take away. Daniel chapter 4. This is actually an interesting story to just go ahead and turn there. Daniel chapter 4, verses 25 through 32. In Daniel chapter 4, Daniel speaks to the king who sees a dream about himself as a tree that's going to fall down. Daniel tells him to repent, to turn from his sins. And it seems like the king forgets the dream and what was said. Verse 28 of chapter 4 says, All this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of the 12 months, a year later, he was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon. And the king answered and said, 'Is Is not this great Babylon which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence for the glory of my majesty? While the words were still in the king's mouth, There fell a voice from heaven. O King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken. The kingdom has departed from you. You shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beast of the field. And you shall be made to eat grass like an ox. And seven periods of time shall pass over you until you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. Immediately the word was fulfilled against Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from among men and ate grass like an ox. And his body was wet with dew from heaven till his hair grew as long as eagles' feathers. His nails were like bird's claws. What's happened to Nebuchadnezzar? He's become like an animal. He's become dumb like an ox, eating their food. His hair and his nails grow out to be like a bird's. It's a pretty gross image, isn't it? Verse 34, at the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven, and my reason returned to me. And I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever, for his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of earth are counted as nothing, but he does according to his will among the hosts of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. What does the study of scripture tell us when we think of ourselves? Well, one thing is we do bear similarity to the animals. We have the same earth that we're made of. We have the same habitat. We eat the same sorts of food. Maybe not grass, but we eat vegetables. We eat fruits. We eat meat. And yet, the amazing thing is, is even in the midst of our sinfulness, Psalm 8 teaches us to find our identity, not in this animal world as one of the animals, but find our identity in God. But that's not to make us proud, but it should humble us, because when we look to God, we see a holy infinite being who far surpasses us. That's the effect that it should have on us when we look at creation in general. When we learn about who God is, we should learn, first of all, that we're not God. And he's given us similarity to the animals, but those similarities are things that are common to life, but there are some key differences so we, have, we can account for the similarity. But we are considered categorically different from the animal realm. We see this starting in verse 24. Because that's when we get to our domain. We don't fly in the air. We don't live in the seas. So God is not filling us. He did not make us on day five. Paralleling day two. Our creation are filling and is paralleled with the third day in which he made the land. And look at the categories that he sets up here. That God makes, lest the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds. And we're given three kind of categories. Livestock, creeping things, and beasts of the earth. The first category, livestock. This is referring to really maybe a better ...general category here is just domesticated animals. And I did not have to... ...I did not have time to follow this rabbit trail... ...but supposedly, Rick Phillips says that the word behemah... ...which is the Greek word or the Hebrew word for livestock... ...has its root in dumb, That it's made to be a servant. God created some animals to be servants and friends of humanity... That's the purpose, that's the category here. The next one, creeping things. This word applies to uh, reptiles, uh, worms. It applies to the things with short legs or who spend most of their time close to the ground. Even sometimes small things, just because they're small. And then the last category, beast, is literally living things. Literally, it's living things of the earth. It's reference to the wild animals, birds, lions, tigers, or really I could say tigers, lions and bears, am oh I? refers to the wild, undomesticated, not tame creatures that roam the earth. And we actually already saw sort of a category of this when in verse 21, When God created the great sea creatures. Speaking to most likely whales, crocodiles, the beast of the sea, which we cannot tame or control. The types of beasts that when you see them make you think of a kraken and write mythological stories of things that you don't really know but are just massive and untamed. Once again, too, we have a correction to our worldview, don't we? When we think of Eden, or maybe as a Christian I think of Eden, I think of a world in which every animal like my pet. In which I can befriend a lion and I can ride on an elephant and I can do all sorts of things without any care or concern in the world and everything will be my friend. That, that was always my hope as a kid of what heaven would look like. So the thing is, is this world, although God has made this world in such a way as to serve man, as to filling the stars of the sky just to help us tell time, yet this world ultimately is not to be servants of us, but to be servants of God for his glory. The beasts of the field, those things in which we will never tame, the things that have their life and have intelligence living out in the wilderness, are things that we look at and we marvel at God's intelligence, God's greatness, God's grandeur. The things that God made for himself to glorify his holy name. Think of all the creatures which have these intricate lifestyles that go unnoticed and have been unnoticed by humanity and who are still yet undiscovered. God has made an amazing world That's not to lead us to be proud, but it's to lead us to glorify him. As Psalm 104, uh, verses 24 through 26 says, the psalmist looking at the creation and seeing really a poetic account of the creation account in Psalm 104. The psalmist reflects and says, O Lord, how manifold are your works! In wisdom you have made them all. The earth is full of your creatures, swarming with them. I don't know if that word's used there. That's just my little added reference. Here is the sea, great and wide, which teems with creatures innumerable, living creatures both small and great. There go the ships and Leviathan, which you form to play in it. Like I said, Leviathan there could be a whale, could be a crocodile, could be referred to any number of great sea creatures. But did you notice that? That God made it to simply play in his sea that he made so vast. How amazing is our God? Isn't this what the heart of the Christian does? When we look at the created realm, we see God's magnificence, we see God's glory, we see God's design. There's a whole field of this now called biomimicry in which we analyze and look at the design of natural things, specifically living things, and try to copy those designs to make our, efficient, our systems more efficient. Using whale fins, wind turbines, using butterfly wings to create better, more efficient solar panels. I could tell you about slime mold, but I think I'm the only one who's interested in that. There's all sorts of things which bear God's design. These things, including humanity, did not just arise by chance. Did you notice there's this one repeated phrase that's repeated more than anything else? That all these things occurred, were rather perpetuated according to their kinds. I counted seven different times that was said of every sort of living creature between 20 and 25. And the same thing's going to be said of humanity that they're going to be given the same command that the fish and the birds are given, in which all animals will be given, which is to be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. Except fish are to fill the sea, birds are to fill the air, and we are to fill the earth. We have... We can account for the similarity. Really, it's the similar creator and designer. The same God that gave you life... ...gave life to his living animate creatures. That's what accounts for the similarity. The point of difference, though... ...that the Bible makes for us... ...is absolutely clear. We are categorically outside of animals. The Bible uses these three categories... ...throughout Scripture. Domesticated, tame animals... Untamed animals and creepy crawlies. Human beings are never a part of that category. They are limited, separated, categorically. They're categorically different. But we do see this similarity, one maybe one other similarity to reflect upon that once again humbles us. That phrase, according to its kind." All living cre- things are dependent upon the blessing of God. And that's that last point. All living things are dependent upon the blessing of God. And let me tell you here, I, um, I'm proceeding as sensitively as I can at this point. And there's a reason for it. It's because goodness here, the blessing, is God empowering. That's what God has blessed, particularly. And his blessing and how he's empowered is three commands. He commands what he's just enabled them to do. Be fruitful, multiply, and fill. And part of the sensitivity here is I need to do two different things. I need to affirm the goodness of something and also I need to affirm the goodness of something that some of us do not or maybe cannot or will not ever have which is the blessing of children. That's what's defined here. He's enriched animal life, living things all with the same ability. The same ability to reproduce. It stresses fruitfulness is the result of the divine decree. The thing that causes things to reproduce at the very first instance and even to the last instance is always connected with God and His power. Just like reason. We've seen people develop diseases in which the good gift of rationality and self-consciousness is being deprived of them. Taken from them due to Alzheimer's, dementia. And the same thing happens to other people when it comes to reproduction, taking that away. But we can't lose that all these things, everything that makes us us, every good thing that we have comes from God's hand. And it is a good thing. At the end of each day, he says, he saw that it was good. And it included this first time, in the first word that he, the first time he's used this word, of a blessing. And it's referring to offspring. We see this throughout scripture. People receiving the blessing of children. The reason why I need to refer to this goodness and make sure I tell you that this is a good thing. Most everyone in Evergreen, I think, understands the goodness, and those who don't have it feel that loss. I don't need to convince you, but there are some young women in this room who are going to be tempted to think that children are not a blessing, that if they, may, they sin and they become pregnant, that they have a curse that is carried with them. And to those people, I need to affirm that while the sin is part of the curse, and some of the consequences of it, like maybe even poverty, are wrong, that the child is never part of that curse. The child is good. If you find yourself in that situation, just know, if you come to the church, you won't be distant, you won't be kicked out, you'll be warmly embraced. We are all sinners saved by grace. And if you choose to the life of your child and don't take the government or don't take Planned Parenthood on their offer to murder your child for you, do you know what you're going to have? It's a blessing, a blessing which we will help you with we will embrace that child because that child is not part of the curse but like i said i don't have to i don't have to i don't have to convince you many of you of that that children are a blessing from the lord they are a blessing excuse me What I need to tell you is that the suffering that we go through in this world, I want to affirm to you that it is a result of the fall. It's part of the not good that happened not not before Genesis 1, but after. That our reflections on our lives need to account for this. We need to account for the goodness that is found in God's creation and affirm it at every point that we see it. And we need to affirm it when we see it in other people's lives. It should cause us to rejoice the same way we rejoice in the wild animal that will not never belong to us, who is good and beautiful and true. And yet, we need to lament the false effects on this world, how it's permeated absolutely everything. We should study our design, the design of our bodies, our environment, and seek to maximize the goodness of our health. But we should have limits on this. The limit is found in God, and we know that ultimately, even the fruit of the womb, multiplying, filling the earth, that that's a result of God's blessing. And there are plenty of biblical, godly women in the scriptures who don't have this gift. Like Hannah. Like so many women in the scriptures that I only wrote down Hannah's name, so that's the only one that I have, at least in this state. That this world is good, we can affirm that. But we need to move. Beyond that. This reproduction as a good thing, as a blessing, as good a blessing as it is, it's something that we share with every living thing. It's good in every creature. It's part of the natural capabilities which he endowed to our species, which is distinct from the animal realm. The good that God calls us to Yes, it's not contrary to our nature, and it doesn't contradict our nature. But it's not realized fully in our nature. You can live a good life, eat good food, raise good children, and still be missing out on the biggest blessing of them all, which is a reconciled relationship with the God of the universe. And even here, as we get to the be fruitful and multiply, it's with a particular aim. It's so that God's image can spread throughout the world. It's not so that we can just reproduce and multiply. It's that we can reproduce and multiply God's good creatures to God's glory so that they might be (coughs) worshipers of him. And there's more ways than one to reproduce in that manner. When we share the gospel of Jesus Christ and we see the power of God transform a sinner who was a son of Satan to become a son of the living God, we see that reproduction happen. We see it when we witness God's glory, us being used as instruments in his hand for his good, for spreading his beauty, his loveliness, his image throughout the world. This is why when Calvin, who had no children, struggled to have children all his life, and when he finally had his very first child, that child died in infancy, and so it took his wife as well. He was belligerently mocked by his detractors. Many people wrote to him and said, see, this is God's curse on his life to show you that Calvin is a false teacher. And Calvin wrote back and said, I, they have many spiritual children that they have no idea about. God has not deprived me of children, but has given me rich blessings innumerably. What we have here, ultimately, whether we're looking at the similarities, our differences, or even the blessings, The thing that marks this entire passage, if you have one takeaway when you're reading through Genesis chapter 1, what's it going to be? That God is sovereign. That he's the king of kings and lord of lords. That he has plans and his plans come to pass. All of them without fail. He speaks and it happens and the whole created universe in every moment of history falls under that category. That everything happens according to his plan. And we are not simply animals. We are dignified above the rest of creation. But it's by God's blessing that we are. In fact, everything that we have is God's blessing. That should turn us to God's Praise. And while the animals do their function and are obedient creatures, they don't know God. They don't know the God who they bring glory to. But you do. But what will you do with that knowledge? Will you take your knowledge of the creator of the universe and suppress it in unrighteousness? And instead of living ...to please God, living to please yourself? Are you going to look for your fulfillment... ...in this life? In your health? In your wealth? In how many children you have? Is that the thing that's going to bring you blessing... ...in life? Is that your only hope? If it is, you need to hear Ecclesiastes 3... ...that we all die... ...and we'll become just like every animal... But thanks be to God that he made us to know him, to worship him, to praise him, to be blessed by him. Not with a life that we start and will end one day. But we are blessed in Christ if you turn to him with eternal life. And that life that you will have is so full of so much abundance. There won't be a day that goes by in heaven where you'll say... Wow, I really missed out on that blessing. I wish God would have given me that. Because God will have given you so much more. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear, gracious God and heavenly Father, we are so thankful. Thankful that we belong to you by Christ. Lord, we confess that we need you to move in our own hearts to entrust our lives to you. Lord, we need your help to believe that your plan for our life, and every moment of it, even the hard things, even the sufferings, will be used for our good and for your glory. And Lord, we struggle at times to understand, that your good for our lives does not mean for us the easiest life. Or a suffering free life. But the good that you have for us. Is a good that prepares us for the eternal weight of glory. Which we will inherit. Which surpasses all comprehension. Lord I pray that as we. When we suffer want in this life. Lacking the good things that we have. That it would not provoke us. To jealousy, to wrath, to covetousness. But it would provoke us to cling tighter to the promises that we have in Christ. Knowing that all of our pain, though real, is temporary. Temporary both for our experience and our understanding. Lord, help us to live for the eternal weight of glory. Lord, I pray for those who do not and have not yet made a profession Of Christ as their Lord and their Savior. That they would see their sinfulness. See that they cannot pick themselves up by their bootstraps. But need to rest upon God and his blessing. And that blessing to us has been freely offered in Christ. And may you cause them to embrace Christ. As their sole love and life. Their supreme blessing that will not fail. Oh, Lord, we need your help. It's in Jesus Christ's name that we pray. Amen. If you'll stand with me, let's continue our worship by singing his praise.